Hello everyone and welcome to this episode of Afronomics, the podcast where we discuss the most recent economic trends impacting growth and development in Africa. I'm your host, Albert Sufa, Chief Economist for the Africa region at the World Bank. I'm joined today by Cesar Calderon, our lead economist in the Africa region's Chief Economist Office and one of the lead authors of the Africa's Polls. Welcome, Cesar. Uh, thank you for your invitation, Albert. We're happy to have you. And today we will explore together, Cesar, the findings of our most recent Africa's Polls, the World Bank Biannual Macroeconomic Analysis for the Region. The most recent edition of the Africa's Poll says that although the economic impact of COVID-19 has been severe and, and plunged the region in its first recession in 25 years, the decline in growth has not been as steep as originally feared. Instead of a 3.3% economic decline projected in October last year, economic activity might contract only by around 2% in 2020. And this is mainly due to a strong agricultural growth on the continent and a faster than expected economic recovery in commodities prices. And even as African countries are now facing a second wave of COVID-19 infection, a second wave that is more lethal than the first one, there is still a glimpse of optimism in the growth forecast presented in the Africa's polls, with predictions as high as 3.4% in 2021 and 4.5% in the most optimistic scenario in 2022. So achieving and sustaining high growth rate would be absolutely critical. Cesar, to roll back some of the damaging impact of COVID-19. And those impacts are wide ranging from poverty to human capital. And sustaining those growth rates would be extremely hard. So let me ask you, Cesar, now that we are a year into this pandemic, we foresee that tens of millions of Africa are at risk to be pushed into poverty. To reverse those trends induced by COVID-19, Africa would have to sustain growth above 4% in 2022 and beyond. Is this possible? And if so, how? That's an excellent question, Over. It's true what you said, that the region has been pushed to the first recession in the last quarter century because of the pandemic. And it's true that now the region needs to put its act together, try to sustain a recovery. And that recovery, in order to revert some of the developmental setbacks that the region faced during the pandemic, say a worsening of poverty and widening of income inequalities and a reduction in GDP per capita, the region will require a series of massive investments. Investments in all these fundamentals that will help the region not only increase the potential output and productive capacity, but also try to do it in a way that is inclusive. And again, some of the investments that are required in the region are in the areas that we can easily pinpoint, such as education, infrastructure, health. In the case of infrastructure, we're talking here about not only the physical infrastructure in terms of transport connectivity, in terms of energy, but also in terms of the digital economy. This is one important area that the region will be. 
increase investments. But in order to increase investments, there are two actions that are required, to some extent at the hands of policymakers. One, the implementation of credible policies that can foster these investments. And two, the rapid rollout of the vaccination program in Africa. Right now, unfortunately, the latter problem is not entirely at the hands of policymakers to the extent that there is still an important degree of inequality in the distribution of vaccines worldwide. But at the same time, while countries are waiting for these vaccines to arrive to their countries, what they should do is try to get the logistics ready. Vaccines to countries can turn rapidly into vaccines into arms. The second thing that we're talking about here is credible policies to foster investments. And to some extent, what we need to do here are a series of actions that go from the macro to the micro. When we're talking about the macro, for instance, we're talking about policies that allow the exchange rate, the value of the currency, an indicator of competitiveness in some African countries, to reflect market forces. The problem with many of, of our economies that have either some sort of de facto pay is that, for instance, the increase in, in commodity prices may lead to a strengthening of the currency that may not reflect the fundamentals of the economy. So then you have an issue of overvaluation of the currency that can hurt the competitiveness of African economy. At the same time, we need to think about strategies not only domestically, not only by the government, but also with the help of the international community to alleviate the debt burden of African countries. Speaking of that, Cesar, you're making a very fundamental point here, which is we can actually achieve growth above 4%. We can maybe even come back to the level of the pre-2014 level where Africa was, Sub-Saharan Africa was growing above 5%. But that would require strong and smart investment, but it would have to come with a deployment of vaccines. And in fact, our optimistic scenario, growth scenarios that leads to those high growth rates depends on how fast the country deploy vaccinations. But as you mentioned, there is some vaccine nationalism going on and countries in Africa that would want to implement those vaccination programs are not always availing them. Any suggestion from the polls as to what countries should do to actually avail those vaccines? I think there are already some platforms or some facilities that are working for African countries. For instance, COVAX is one of them. It's one of these pillars on access to COVID-19 tools for African countries that are working in response to the pandemic in general. The COVAX pillar is an interesting global solution to this pandemic that is trying to ensure to all developing countries, and especially low-income countries, access to these COVID-19 vaccines once they're available. Those vaccines are coming free for the poorer countries in Africa. And for countries that are in the category of middle income, they're coming at a certain price. The only problem with COVAX is that they will provide enough doses to vaccinate up to 20% of the population. This is not enough if African countries want to reach herd immunity. Another facility or another platform that complements COVAX is the African Vaccine Acquisition Trust. The African Union established this AVAT with double T, the African Vaccine Acquisition Task Team, that was supposed to ensure that the continent would be able to secure sufficient vaccines doses to achieve herd immunity. So, so far, what this task team have been able to achieve is two milestones that are very important. So in mid-January, they managed to acquire or confirm the acquisition of 
270 million vaccine doses for African countries, with at least 50 million of them being available during the second quarter of 2021. And we're talking here 270 million vaccine doses of Pfizer, AstraZeneca, and Johnson & Johnson. By the end of March 2021, the TAS team was able to secure access to 220 million doses of the Johnson & Johnson COVID vaccine with a potential additional order of 180 million doses. And now, the Johnson & Johnson really is a game changer in this case, not only because of the lack of cold storage that the Pfizer vaccine requires, but also because it's a one-shot. Now, the other beauty of this agreement is that Johnson & Johnson vaccines are going to be manufacturing by Aspen Pharma. Yeah? Aspen Pharma is a pharmaceutical with plants in South Africa. Cesar, countries can leverage, you know, the COVAX platform, the AVAT platform, but also build on their respective relations with other bilaterals to avail vaccines, but it's going to be absolutely critical. But what is going to probably be the biggest constraint there is the financing, right? And availing those vaccines in such a tight fiscal space environment is going to be quite critical, which leads me to the issue of debt. There have been mounting debt vulnerability in countries even before COVID hit. And now with uh, COVID, the problem has been exacerbated. What will be needed to actually address the debt crisis? That's a very important question, Albert. Debt vulnerabilities are indeed high in sub-Saharan Africa, and they have been rising due to the pandemic. What measures are needed to address these issues? I think there are measures that can be taken by governments per se, and there are other measures where other other actions that will be required the help from the international community. I think on the government side, what needs to be done to some extent is try to formulate policies that foster domestic resource mobilization. Those measures will have a sequencing a sequencing of policies, and that sequencing of policies will have to depend on the not only on the state of the business cycle, but also on the extent of containment measures and lockdowns in the economy at the moment that policies are implemented. Efforts to create efficiency gains both in taxes and in the revenues and expenditures, on the one hand, is important. On the other hand, efforts to boost transparency, not only on fiscal accounts, but also on debt were not only loan contracts, but also fiscal risks associated to these contracts are reported and are monitored by the public. That's very important when you're making Cesar, because there's quite a lot that can be done within countries before we can actually reach out to the international community. Yes, it would, we would need those support from the international community, but what you're saying is basically that countries need to uh, address the issue of uh, domestic revenue mobilization. And that doesn't just mean raising taxes, or maybe not. It's also about efficiency gain in the expenditure and in the investment management. It's about transparency, right? It's probably about limiting illicit flows and all those savings that could generate that space to, uh, to do the smart investment. Now, you also mentioned a solution to the debt situation would be coming from the international community, right? Yes. I mean, the international community in, in May of last year already launched an initiative to suspend debt service. We have the debt, suspension, debt service suspension initiative, the, BSSA, the BSSI, where about 30 countries in the region out of the 37 that are eligible are participating. Of course, the region will require initiatives from the international community that help not only 
solve any liquidity issues that they may have in the short term, like the DSSI, but also other ways to, to solve solvency problem in some cases. A complement to the DSSI would be the common framework for debt treatments beyond DSSI, which is basically at this moment tracing some sort of, will trace a blueprint towards debt restructuring in the future. Again, there are three countries that already express their desire to participate in the common framework, Ethiopia, Chad, and Zambia. And the negotiations that will be conducted between these countries and the creditors will shape any discussion on debt restructurings in the future. You're absolutely right that common framework and, and what comes out of these three first cases is going to be critical because the Debt Service Suspension Initiative, DSSI, is a temporary measure and probably doesn't apply to all countries because for market access countries, for country raising most of your debt on markets with private creditor, DSSI may not necessarily be the best option and shouldn't in any case be the only one. So common framework is going to be essential to bring around the table all the creditors, private, public, but also bilaterals, including those not members of the, uh, the Paris Club. The post also mentioned a new initiative, Cesar, on uh, issuance of SDRs, new issuance of uh, special drawing route, uh, rights from uh, the IMF. Can you elaborate a little bit on that? Basically, what the AMF is, is aiming to do is to increase the special drawing rights. They're discussing right now an increase of special drawing rights at the AMF of $650 billion. That money is going to be allocated across all countries that are members of the AMF. And what that can do is increase their reserves and to some extent access to those reserves in order to provide some balance of payment support or budget support. One of the things that is also being under discussed is whether countries that are not using their DSSR can allocate them to other countries. That remains to be seen, but that can also, to some extent, expand the liquidity space of some countries in the region. And of course, not only is this allocation of SDR, but also the, the increase in the, in the lending capacity of the fund to low-income countries, lower-middle-income countries that will need the funding, given the mounting fiscal pressures are going to experience not only this year, but next year, amount of money that they will need to finance their investments. That's correct. Cesar, you mentioned what countries need to do, and I want to re, you know, close this uh, point on debt by re-emphasizing transparency in the way debt is acquired and, and the way debt is managed. And because that's certainly part of the reasons why the buildup of debt stock was so fast and in some cases not sustainable. You also mentioned, Cesar, earlier that countries would have to deepen reforms and make smart investment. You mentioned uh, human capital, but you also mentioned digital, which is the, the special topic of our issue, this issue of the Africa's pulse. But, you know, how do you see countries making those investments, Cesar, without further jeopardizing fiscal sustainability. I think that's the key of trying to change the mentality about debt in Africa. And I think we have talked before in previous issues of the polls or in other work that the office has done, which is the need to understand that debt has to be used for productive investments. What does that entail? That the stream of returns that this investment projects generate or the revenues that they generate 
can be able to repay the debt and more. So what is needed for the region to undertake these investments without jeopardizing debt sustainability is two things. One, you need to have good terms and conditions, of course. And that would require for the region to have their macro framework in order. Of course, that at this point, I would say more of a a goal over the next two, three years. But right now, what the region needs to do is somehow improve the governance of investment projects. In this case, improve the public investment management system. Absolutely. To make sure make sure debt is actually invested and not necessarily consumed. And when it's invested, that is invested in the type of projects that could pay for itself down the road. Exactly. What needs to be done in this context is to have a series of transparent procedures that not only has a good pipeline of projects, that not only has transparent procurement uh, processes, but also all the institutions that support the monitoring and the preparation of the projects are strong enough to guarantee that the investments that are being undertaken would give countries in the region the biggest bang for the buck. Absolutely. So debt in itself is not the issue, as you're saying, Cesar, is how you use debt and uh, how sustainably you borrow. So uh, the issue of concessionality comes to mind. And most of the debt being now in African countries is contracted from private sources, from markets, and uh, it's clearly generally not concessional. So those terms need to be adjusted and clearly debt needs to be contracted in a more transparent way. Cesar, in terms of investments, one of the smartest investments coming out of the uh, Africa's polls as advice is investing in the digital technologies. And this edition is clearly pointing to mounting evidence that the future of work will play differently in Africa than in advanced country. It's suggesting that you know, investment in digital economy and access to the digital platforms may not displace jobs, but to the contrary, can actually contribute to job creation across sectors, including in the informal sector, and also boost productivity in African countries. This edition is basically showing that firms in Africa have increased their usage of digital platforms during COVID. So in a sense, we have not wasted the opportunity of this crisis. So Cesar, question to you is, you know, how do you see the future of work and the role of digital in African countries? And precisely, how do you see this being an opportunity for young people and women in Africa? Well, thank you for the question, because this is one of the questions that give us some hope about the future of the region. Prior to the pandemic, there was already a series of rigorous research conducted in the region uh, about the role of the digital economy or the applications or the adoption of digital technologies and employment in the region. And as you clearly state, some of these research not only point to large employment effects, but also they point to to no displacement of uh, of low-skilled jobs, which basically gives you an idea of the potential of digital technologies in improving the productivity of the jobs of this segment of, of workers. 
despite the evidence of high returns on the digital economy, unfortunately, the uptake of digital technologies in the African region is pretty low. At least that's what the evidence tells us, not only prior to the pandemic. The one interesting thing about the pandemic is that the pandemic has been, to some extent, a vehicle for innovation in our economies. Not only, as you said, and as the evidence in the polls shows, most of the African firms surveyed have increased their use of digital technologies in response to the pandemic, but also there have been sectors that have not only adopted, but also tested a series of very innovative ways to deal with the pandemic itself. One of the sectors that has witnessed a rapid implementation of innovative actions has been the health sector in Africa. Of the innovations designed worldwide to fight the pandemic, about 13% have been either piloted or tested in the Africa region. And there are some innovations that have been basically based on ICT or information and communication technologies that have served as a blueprint even for other countries. And we're talking here, for instance, about the chatbots in South Africa. There's a series of contract tracing apps, for instance, in Ghana, health information tools in Nigeria, self-diagnostic tools in Angola, the introduction of robots in Rwanda, not only to support medical staff, but also in airports to screen people entering the country. The use of 3D printing, for instance, made by companies in Kenya. Digital technologies have also been used amid the pandemic by governments. For instance, some governments have used the social registries or have digitalized social registries in order to enhance the targeting of their social protection programs or have resorted to, for instance, electronic filing of taxes that can help not only uh, reduce transaction costs and operation times, but also make risk management more efficient. That's fantastic. So clearly, says uh, African countries have seized the opportunity of the crisis to expand the use of digital platforms or expand digital innovation. And this is clearly having an impact on the labor market, on jobs of today and of tomorrow. So one important statistics that came out of that Africa polls is that even for informal firms, those who use digital management solutions have, you know, 1.6 times more workers than those who don't. So this is affecting, you know, employment across the board, both informal and informal activities. And and innovation is certainly, you know, being developed. E-commerce has really taken off also during the COVID period. But despite all this burst in optic, what is clear is that the level of digital penetration remains very, very low in Africa. Firms still do not have access to broadband. And 4G, which is the technology that would allow internet for productive use, is not widespread. What are some reasons for this and what can be done to change it? I think... On the one hand, you have that the low uptake uh, of, of the digital technologies among firms, for instance, in Africa is the lack of internet-enabled devices. Many of these firms report not having a computer, for instance, 
they said it's too expensive, that they cannot afford it, or they don't know how to use it. Penetration of computers across firms is an issue that is important. That's not the case of for mobile phones. There's a large penetration of mobile phones across firms. The problem is the following. Smartphones are more expensive. So you have a lot of telephones still with 2G capacity that, you know, they can be sent text messages, voice messages, but still they cannot download or they cannot use a series of applications that have been developed for smartphones that can also help them increase their efficiency. High prices of internet services, cost of data is also an important issue. But besides all these issues of of affordability that we're talking about right now, uh, there's another important issue, which is skills. Skills for using digital devices. I think advances in these two areas is key, is essential for a better uptake on the digital economy. Basically, what that would require is to have an effective regulation, regulation that basically not only expands digital infrastructure, but also puts a premium on competitiveness and in innovation so that it delivers affordable, reliable, and universal, and universal services. Importance of the regulatory framework to unleash innovation and make internet accessible, affordable to African firms and households will be key for the future of work. This is clearly a very, very important conclusion. Thank you so much, Cesar, for joining me today. You know, most of all, thank you to our listeners. For more on Africa's polls, our most recent publications, or to enjoy more episodes of Afronomics, please visit us at worldbank.org slash A-F-R-C-E and follow me on Twitter at Albert Zufak. Please share your views, questions, and ideas. Until next time, stay well.